There's two readings tonight, and the first one is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 to 31. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were influential, not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is, our, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And then the second one is Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown, thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world, a town built on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others and they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Um, good evening. Um, it is it is lovely to be um, to be with you this evening. Uh, it's, not, it's it's great to be here and still be light outside um, uh, after such a cracking day as well, um, guys. Tonight, we're, 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 as Richie has said, we're going to be finishing off our our Reformation series, and we're going to be looking at, at what the Reformation rediscovered about how our faith interacts with our everyday lives. Um, and I think it's quite a good topic to use to, uh, to finish off uh, this series. Not just because how we, we live our everyday lives is something Kirkpatrick talks about a lot and cares about a lot, but also because the reformers, as they were thinking about this, uh, this issue and what they thought about this issue came out of um, what they had rediscovered about many of the, the areas we've, we've already talked about. Um, justification by faith, the authority of the Bible versus the authority of the church, grace, um, union with Christ. What they came to believe about these things changed the way they thought about life and what life with God should look like. Um, one of the, the phrases of the, the Reformation was, um, I'm going to embarrass myself with my bad pronunciation of Latin here, but it was sole deo gloria. It's one of what's called the, the five solas, uh, one, of the fi, one of the key summaries of, of Reformation thought, and I'll not do them all in Latin. Um, they, were, they were scripture alone, faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, and then this one, which means glory to God alone. You see, one thing that the, the Reformation did was it, it pushed all sense of our salvation away from us and laid it at the feet of God. The only one capable of doing anything that could actually save us. So no one can say, I've received eternal life because of my goodness. 
or, or how religious I am or how clever I am. All the glory is God's. And along with a, a number of other texts, the, the reformers pointed to, to those verses that uh, Lewis just read out for us in 1 Corinthians um, to show this, uh, and specifically that little bit at the end. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And this idea of, of glory to God alone became the, the summary of, of Reformation life. So everyday life became the place where we are to glorify God. And, and this idea really came from, from two places. Um, firstly, there was the, the rediscovery of Scripture. As the Reformers read Scripture for themselves, they realized that God was not some distant uh, deity not involved in people's lives, but was truly interested in people's everyday. God didn't just interact with people through special ceremonies by special people at special times, but God used all sorts of people. Kings and slaves, prophets and shepherds, and he called them to live their whole lives to give him glory. And the second area where this idea came from was the, the rediscovery of justification by faith. If we are saved by our faith alone, by God's grace alone, through Christ alone, then where do works fit in? If our good works, if the good things we do aren't to earn us favor with God or contribute to our being saved, then what are they for? You see, as we've mentioned before, uh, the church at the time believed that you were justified, you were made right with God through receiving grace on an ongoing basis uh, through the sacraments. So grace was this thing that you kept having to be constantly topped up with in order to stay full of grace, in order to hopefully maybe get to salvation. So what mattered to the Christian was the, the sacramental activity of the church. That's where you got the grace. That's where you got the forgiveness. It, it suggested to people that the, the core, the important part of Christianity took place away from day-to-day -day life. And this kind of led to a bit of a, a, a secular spiritual divide. The two things became separate. If you want to get to know and have union with Christ, then you should lock yourself away in a monastery and just spend your time with God. If you want to serve God, then the best way to do it is to become a priest or a friar, to serve the church, to go and be part of the church. In the eyes of the church at the time, to give glory to God meant separation from everyday normal life. And that kind of makes sense. If you want to avoid sinning in order to try and be good enough to please God, the best thing you can do is to separate yourself from others and try and put your whole focus on God. The more time you spend in the muck and the mire of the everyday world, the more likely you are to fall and to fail. But this rediscovery of justification by faith, it changed all that. Because it means religious activity isn't some sort of part payment towards being saved. It radically changes how we can think about good works. In uh, Luther's uh, 
sort of essay that he wrote, The Freedom of a Christian, he discusses this and he says, we are saved by faith alone and this faith cannot exist in connection with works. So why then is the Bible chock-a-block full of, of commands for us to do good works? Well, here's what Luther has to say about it. And this is a bit of a lengthy quote, so try and stick with it. Although, as I have said, a man is abundantly and sufficiently justified by faith inwardly in his spirit, and so has all that he needs, except insofar as this faith in these riches must grow from day to day, even to the future life, yet he remains in this mortal life on earth. In this life, he must control his own body and have dealings with men. Here the works begin. Here a man cannot enjoy leisure. Here he must indeed take care to discipline his body by fasting, watching, labors, and other reasonable discipline to subject it to the spirit so that it will obey and conform to the inner man. And faith, and not revolt against faith and hinder the inner man, as it is the nature of the body to do if it is not held in check. The inner man who by faith is created in the image of God is both joyful and happy because of Christ in whom so many benefits are conferred upon him. And therefore, it is his one occupation to serve God joyfully without the thought of gain in love that is not constrained. I think what Luther is essentially saying here is, is twofold. First, he is saying the, the works of spiritual discipline are to help us, not to gain heaven, but to be more Christ-like, to help us conform to the, the inner man, as he calls it, that new creation that we are through Christ, and not to conform to this world, which, which naturally happens when we, we aren't actively working towards keeping our focus on Christ. I'm sure the, the words of, of Romans 12, uh, 1 and 2 were in his head as he wrote some of this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And then secondly, although I think these two things are, are totally interlinked, that our joy in, in, in what Christ has done for us should lead us to want to serve him joyfully. A large section of the, the church uh, at the time, and, and many people today, they serve God, they, they do good works because they think um, or they thought it, it would lead to their salvation. It's a totally self-centered service. I'm serving God because of the benefits it will give to me, because of what it will do for me. But Luther tried to show that, that, that Christians should live now out of love. And love that is not constrained, love that is not held back in any way. You see, the gospel frees us frees us from the need to do self-serving good works for our own benefit. 
and salvation. And instead, it frees us to do good out of love for God and for the sake of others. So the the church at the time believed we did these good works as, as part of our salvation. The good works were done for God to earn his approval. But the the reformers, they totally rejected this idea. They rightly claimed that God doesn't need us or our good works. God is not in need of anything. He is perfect and he is totally self-sufficient. They claimed instead that our good works were not to benefit God, but were to benefit those around us, were were for the good of our neighbour. So instead of good works done for God that take us away from the world, like the monks and the nuns and the priests of the time, the gospel should drive us back into the world to serve others with love, to be that salt and light in the world, not to hide our light under a bowl or in a building, but to live out this life we have been given through Christ so that others may see our good deeds see and hear the difference Christ makes to us and may also come to glorify their Father in heaven. Now, I think this is something we we definitely have to keep in mind. You see, there's, there's a danger in today's busy church environment, which is so full of, of activity, where we can end up spending a, a massive amount of our time each week at church or church-related or Christian-related events, surrounded by other like-minded Christians. And actually, our interaction with the world might be quite low. And there's also a danger that as the, the public square becomes perhaps increasingly hostile towards Christians and Christianity, that we will be tempted to retreat even further into the safety of the church and clamp that bowl down even more over the light that we have to share with others. Yet, it's true that that our part of the world is becoming a bit more hostile towards Christians. But in these increasingly uncertain times, with all that's going on with the Middle East, with North Korea, with Trump, with Putin, uh, and the potential economic and, and social uncertainty around the whole Brexit thing, with people living reasonably affluent lives around us, but still feeling totally devoid of hope and empty, people out there are looking for hope. People out there are looking for something, something more. And unlike all the other hopes that people try and put their trust in, we have the one hope that does not disappoint, as Romans 5.5 says. So just like the, the reformers, we need to recognize that our whole lives should be lived to the glory of God alone. And we need to make sure that we are outward looking as Christians, seeing where in the world around us God is calling us to live out our faith so others might see and hear of the hope we have through Christ. So what does that all mean for our, for our everyday lives? Well, it means whatever we're doing, no matter how mundane or pointless we think the task is, like housework or going down to the shops for a pint of milk, or sitting doing maths equations. That truly is a terrible and rubbish task, but anyway. Um, We can take joy in all of those things, yes, even maths equations, um, and do them to the glory of God. You see, Luther thought about day-to-day life using using two words. 
station and calling. He believed that everybody has a station in life, a place where God has put us currently, um, and if we have been made alive in Christ, we should want to live out our faith in the place we find ourselves. When we do that, then our station, the place God has put us now, our school, our college, our work, our sports team, our home, our street, our village, wherever it is, it stops just being a station. It stops just being the place God has put us. And it starts to be our calling, the place God has called us to serve others. Do you see the place that that God has put you as a place where you glorify God and serve others? By faith, do you see your daily activities from the simplest to the greatest in your eyes, all as tasks which have been given to you by God to be done for his glory and the common good? Many Christians today, they, they struggle with this whole idea of calling. What, what does God want me to do with my life? Where should I live? Uh, does God want me to get married? If so, to who? What should I do for God now that I'm retired? All these big questions that we, that we ask about, well, what does God want from me? Luther and most of the other early reformers, they wouldn't have understood those questions. They would say that your, your calling is not something mysterious or difficult to discern. It, it's simply the circumstances of your life. If you're a mother, then your calling is to be a mother. If you're an office worker, then it's being an office worker. If you're a student, then it's being a student. There's freedom to change and, and move about if you want to. But there's no mysterious word from God waiting to be discovered that he's holding back from you for some reason. God's calling to us, his will for us, is very clear. It's to love him and love our neighbor in whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. If if you want to explore that whole area of of calling or or God's will for your life, Christoph is, is going to be running uh, or dealing with that in a, in a bit of depth at Faith Academy this year, um, which you can sign up for in the, in the vestibule and get a, bit, a few more details about. Um, also, one of the books that I've read on this uh, that I found to be excellent um, is a little book um, called Just, it's called Just Do Something. It's a liberating approach to finding God's will, but it also has a second title, which is, or, how to make a decision without dreams, visions, fleeces, impressions, open doors, random Bible verses, casting lots, liver shivers, writing in the sky, etc. Um, it's by a guy called Kevin DeYoung, who's a, a pastor in uh, America and a guy who contributes to the Gospel Coalition quite a lot. Um, it's a fantastic book. It's a, it's a great book for, I wish I'd read this book about 10 years ago when I was kind of like, in A-levels and stuff like that. So it might be a good book for some of you guys to, to pick up. Um, and it just talks about well, what, what God's will is, what God's will isn't, and, and how this whole area of calling works. So it might be something to, to pick up if you're interested in that. So to, to sum up, in, in medieval Catholicism, God was in the monastery, not the marketplace. He was in mass, but not in the home. He still saw and he counted your sins, but he was this distant reality far away from the people. And the only way to get to him, if at all, was through the saints. You you weren't acceptable to him, so you can't be approaching him directly. But as, as 
If we are justified by our faith, as the Bible clearly teaches, then God is not distant. Because through Christ, we now have a relationship with God. God now welcomes us to him. Because when he looks at us, those of us who have put our faith in Christ, he doesn't see us anymore. He doesn't see our failures and our faults. He now sees the righteousness of his son. And he says, come, come and be with me. Our whole life is now lived out in the close presence of our God. John Calvin, uh, talking about this, said, in, in every aspect of life, human beings now have business with God. Meeting together as a family of faith, sitting under God's word, learning together, encouraging each other is incredibly important and biblical. As well as spending time in God's presence and the word on your own or in smaller groups. We see that clearly demonstrated in the life of Christ. He often goes off on his own or with the the disciples to, to pray, to be with God, and then he comes back and he gets stuck into people's everyday lives. But one of the issues still today is that some churches and some Christians, they give the impression that that proper Christian work is the stuff you do for church or the stuff you do for Christian organizations. That's where the real work is. The person who regularly attends the, the prayer meeting or sits on a committee is assumed to be a strong Christian. Whereas the people who have less time for these things because they're, they're maybe busy with work or a young family or serving the community, they're sometimes seen as not being just as good a disciple. See, we can, we can very easily make the call to follow Christ a call to take part in church programs. And then we wonder why we're so bad at, at reaching the lost or impacting the community around us. Don't get me wrong, the the discipleship that goes on in this place and in many other churches is brilliant and important and biblical. But if it never makes it out the door and into the world, if we fail to grasp that we can glorify God in how we live and speak and act in our interactions at at the shop or the office or in school or at home, then we are missing out on our calling. We're missing out on what God has shown us through scripture. That call that God has given to us to go and make disciples. The question is, do you love your neighbor? Do we love our neighbors? Do we love the lost? Do we love them enough to let the light of Christ that he has brought into our lives, that he has given to us, shine out of us to them? To live for God's glory alone in every area of our lives. Remembering that God is the God of Monday morning just as much as Sunday morning. Should we pray?